Welcome to the Covenant Experience Podcast. At Covenant, we are growing passionate followers of Jesus Christ who serve all people. If you live in the tri-state area, we welcome you to join us on Sundays at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. You can find more information about us online at covenantexperience.com or call us at 304-876-2212 with any questions. And now today's message. Good morning, Covenant family. So good to see you. It's been a great morning so far, hasn't it? Would uh, I, I tell you, I appreciate so much. I don't tell them enough. I'm not sure any of us really do. Uh, those who lead us in worship every Sunday, Pastor Ken leading the way on that. Uh, certainly, yeah, please. Um, and, and if you're new to the Covenant family, that last one was an original. That, that, that was created right here. And uh, just incredibly talented, gifted, spirit-filled artists that God has gifted greatly. And then he has turned around for some reason or another, mysterious to me, and gifted them to us. Uh, and and I'm, I'm grateful for that. Grateful to be with you during this Christmas season. If you're a guest with us, my name's Joel, and I'm one of the pastors. And I want to invite you to let us know that you're here. You have a blue card in front of you there, probably in the seat. If you could just fill that out. We have an offering plate that will pass a little bit later in the service where those that are associated with our family uh, will contribute toward our collective mission. And when it passes in front of you, if you could just drop that blue card in there. Let us know who you are. Let us know ways we can pray for you, how you found us, uh, anything you'd like us to know. I promise we don't show up unannounced. Um, I mean, if you invite us and there's food involved, we might, but, but not, we won't do that unannounced, right? We won't do that uninvited. Uh, you may get a note from us, a, a quick phone call, just thanking you for coming. And, and if there's any other way we can serve you, we would want to know that today. But we finished today a series that we've been in since I returned from sabbatical back the 1st of October. And for the last several weeks, we've been looking, and I told you we were going to look at these four subjects uh, as a means of just talking about the next seven years of our work together as the body of Christ at Covenant. Those four words are kingdom, disciple, society, church. We use the, the, the acronym KDSC around here, like a lot of our, our fellow churches in the Global Net Network. Today, we're going to find, uh, find out several things about the church. So that, that's the last thing. And here's the, the big question I want to ask. Who should we aspire to be together? Not, not who should you aspire to be. That's not an unimportant question. But today's question is, who do we, the body of Christ? You know, out of every single uh, letter, document, piece of history in the New Testament, all those books, there's not a single one of them that is not connected in some way to a local church. We forget that sometimes. You know, Americans are individualists. That's not wrong, but sometimes that cultural lens causes us to miss that the vast majority of our Bible was not written to one individual. It was written to groups of individuals. And, and so with that in mind, we have to ask, who does God want us to be moving toward 2024? How do you, how do you bring your own identity and purpose and gifts and together and, and leverage that together with the other brothers and sisters that you see in this room, with the other brothers and sisters that will be with us at the 11 o'clock? And those of you who are watching from home today because you're sick or maybe because it's raining, this ain't a bad crowd for a rainy day, amen? And, and so what, what do we want to be in 2024? And so today we talk about the church. What is the church? There's a lot of confusion that surrounds this word. And the reason is because of the way our modern language has appropriated it, both in English uh, and also in German. It, it was, it's actually the German word, Kirchia, 
which is where our English word church comes from. It wasn't translated out of the original Bible. It's just we, we sort of appropriated that from German. And, and the word Kirchia, even though its derivative means of the Lord, over time in Germany and throughout Europe, it became associated just with buildings and, and institutions. And so by the time it was brought over into the English language, almost instantaneously, it's been associated with a building or an institution. It's why we use phrases without even thinking about it, like I'm going to church. Right? Or, or I left my phone at the church. I left it. Okay, well, you left it in a building where the church um, gathers. But when the New Testament word, which is ecclesia, gets used, it, it really means two things at the same time. It means to call together and to call out. Those two things, call together, call out. Call together means I'm identifying with a group of people. All right? the, the Christian faith was not meant to be Lone Ranger. All right, I love country music, but me and Jesus, that ain't right. Okay, it ain't just you and Jesus. It's you and Jesus and the body of Christ working together, called together. We identify with each other. That's otherwise known in the modern world as membership. These are the people I'm going to worship with, the people I'm going to serve with, the people I'm going to share resources with in order to fulfill God's call on my life and theirs. Called together and simultaneously called out. So our shared mission is, is not to ourselves. And we're a lot like Israel in that way. In fact, if you look at the Old Testament, uh, what's called the Septuagint, when it was translated into, into Greek, in every place where Israel is called an assembly, the word is ecclesia. It's the same word uh, as the word that we use for church. Our shared mission, like Israel in the Old Testament, we're called to live as exiles to seek the welfare of the peoples and the cities of, of where we live. So when we talk about the church, that's what we mean. It's a people who are gathered and a people who are scattered, a people who are called together in order to be called out. And, and one of the things we're going to look at today is one of the more powerful and descriptive visions of this reality. This is a text, we look at Matthew chapter 16, that transitions us in Matthew's gospel from one part to the other. For the first 15 chapters uh, of this gospel up until this point, the emphasis has been on Jesus' miracles, the training of his disciples, his nonstop talk about something we looked at several weeks ago, the kingdom of God. What does that mean? 80 times in the first three gospels alone, Jesus speaks of the kingdom of God. You read Matthew alone, you come away with the conclusion, Jesus is obsessed with the kingdom, which by the way, that's why we started with the kingdom. But now we get to chapter 16, there's this shift and the emphasis changes as Jesus starts to move more resolutely toward the cross, toward the point at which he will die for your sins and mine and the sins of everyone who would believe on him. And, 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 and so Jesus here is going to describe for his disciples how this kingdom that he's been talking about is going to come about. How's it, how's it going to be extended and ultimately consummated? And, and so what we have here is a powerful description, and you and I discover in this the irreplaceable power of the church. Churches can be impotent if they miss the kingdom, but the kingdom doesn't happen, and disciples are not made, and society is not impacted. None of that happens if there is no church. And that's one of the things that we see here, the power of working together in, in covenant with each other. So here's what we're going to look at this morning. Three very simple reasons that the church is irreplaceable. Here's the first one. <clears throat> you and I wear the identity of Jesus together. Look with me at verse 13 of Matthew 16. Now, when Jesus came 
into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Let me provide a little setting for you for, for what's going on here. Uh, Jesus is taking his disciples on spiritual retreat, basically. Okay? They've just come from the Sea of Galilee. He's fed 4,000 people. They're moving pretty much parallel with the Jordan River, about 25 miles up north of the city to the headwaters uh, of that river to this place that just a few years prior to their arrival was named for two people. Philip, the son of Herod, named it for himself. Must have been a humble guy. And for Caesar Augustus, because they were under Roman occupation and he didn't want to get any trouble. So Caesarea Philippi was the place where they went, but it, but it hadn't been that many years prior to their arrival, prior to its designation of Caesarea Philippi as Caesarea Philippi, that, that it went by another name. It was known as Peneus. And, and it was called Peneus because it was dedicated to the worship of the Greek god Pan. And, and so this is a, a pagan area that they're going into. If you can imagine with me, if our staff were to get together, our elders and deacons would get together and we say, okay, next 10 years we're going to plan out. We're going to spend some time on our knees. We're going to go on spiritual retreat together and try to hear from God together and speak to one another what seems good to the Holy Spirit and to us and where's God going to take us in the next few years? And, and they look at me and they go, well, you, you got lead in your name for a reason. Put it together, Pastor. And so I start planning it, and I finally come back, and I say, I've got this great plan for where we're going to go, and, and we're going to execute, and it's going to be great. And they go, okay, when are we packing up for Skycroft? And I go, we're not going to Skycroft this time. Well, it's only 30 minutes up the road. I know, I got another idea. Okay, well, well maybe it's Ridgecrest. Maybe it's one of these other camps. Maybe it's a national-type Christian place where we go. Nope, we're not going anywhere. Pastor, where are we going? Vegas, baby. We're going to Vegas. All right? May sound a little weird, right? And, and by the way, when we get there, we're, we're going to sit right on the strip around 8 p.m. Something weird happens in Vegas around 8 p.m. For those of you who have been there in the summertime, that's where we're going to go. That's where we're going to have spiritual retreat. That's actually very similar to the kind of environment we're reading about here. Jesus is retreating with his disciples. It's a time of critical transition in their ministries. And the place he chooses to host it is one of the most pagan areas in the entire region. And that's worthy of note, and we're gonna come back to why he does that in a minute. But having arrived there, he asks a question. Who do people say the Son of Man is? What are people saying about me? He's not asking that in a paranoid way. He knows who he is. But he wants to know if his disciples are aware. Are you aware of what's being said of me? I've been in this ministry for a number of months now. I've chosen you as my disciples. We're moving together on this road together. I'm now starting to move toward what's going to be a really, really hard place, not just for me, but for all of you. And, and I want to ask you a couple of questions. Number one, are you aware of what people are saying about me? Jesus, brothers and sisters, intends for us to know enough about our neighbors to be able to answer that question. Are you aware of what your neighbor thinks about Jesus? What's your classmates think about Jesus? What's your coworkers think about Jesus? And now, I didn't say, are you aware of what the media says about, that they believe about Jesus? I didn't say, are you aware of what Focus on the Family would tell you they believe about Jesus? I'm asking if you've actually rubbed elbows with these people and did the same thing in relation to them that Jesus did in relation to you. Not simply to stand on the precipice of heaven and preach a sermon, but to incarnate yourself among them. Jesus apparently expects that, and the disciples realize that, 
And so they've responded to that. They are aware. And, and as we listen to their responses and their answers, we learn there's a lot of similarity, actually, between the first century and the 21st. And, and we learn that first century Palestine didn't hate him. At least not yet. They were saying good things about him. You know, that's also true today. People hear of Jesus, and most people in our culture, they don't, they don't despise Jesus. They say wonderful things about Jesus. They talk about what a great moral example he is, and what a skilled, transformative teacher he is, and what a wise sage that he is. And Je Jesus, in so many ways, is more popular than he's ever been. He's just not God. He's not Lord of heaven and earth. And so then Jesus asked a more pointed question. Who do you say that I am? And what I want to submit to you this morning is I think that's the question. Sometimes it's easy to get angry or offended. You know, there's, there's been this picture running around the web all week of some kind of satanic thing and some kind of state legislature office. Everybody's outraged and everybody's in an uproar. Can I tell you a couple things? No, I don't think that's appropriate, but... but you don't need to let it raise your blood pressure because, number one, that ain't what the devil looks like. Okay? Let's be realistic. And number two, what somebody else thinks about spiritual things is not what drives the church. It's what this body thinks that drives the church. The issue is not what Oprah Winfrey thinks about Jesus. The issue is not what wider culture thinks about Jesus or what the New York Times thinks about Jesus or the Washington Post or the Wall Street Journal thinks about Jesus. Jesus says, do you know who I am? Do you recognize that? And Peter gets it right. Simon Peter replied, verse 16, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. That you are who you say you are. Let me, let me stress the importance of this confession. This is not just an issue, guys, of being orthodox. We have no power apart from that confession. This confession is the point at which all legitimate ministry begins. Because we're living in a time where with all the available technology we have, and I thank God, that's another group you ought to thank every single week, our tech team. They're doing a wonderful job, but one of the dangers, and it wouldn't be their fault, it'd be mine. It'd be ours to collectively. Is this happening with all the available resources? It's actually possible to grow a very large organization, even a religious one, without the help of the Holy Spirit. That should scare us. Because at the end of the day, our power source is the same as it was 2,000 years ago. It's the early disciples. Every ministry with even an ounce of eternal value begins with a man of God or a woman of God stepping into a context where people are separated from God and declaring Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's why Jesus must be at the center and why our church always has to be anchored at the center. We're the corporate conduit for the kingdom of God. We're the corporate conduit for introducing people to the king. And to do that, we've got to find our common identity in the center. Sometimes churches don't focus as much on the center as they do on the boundaries. I'm not saying boundaries are unimportant. They are. They're important. But sometimes if you become defined by your boundaries, we were adopting our daughter 2010 on the other side of the world 
in this Chinese city with two other people, another couple from Indianapolis that were there to adopt their son. We were there to adopt our daughter. We were sitting at a table with each other at this restaurant that nobody speaks English. We're the only four white people in this city at 2.3 million people. And he looks at me and he says, what do you, what do, you do? Well, at that point, I was, I was working for the denomination, but the best way I thought, you know, I don't know what this guy's faith background is, but I, I, I just said, I'm a pastor. And he said, oh, okay, what kind of pastor? Uh, well, I, I work for the Baptist Convention of Maryland, Delaware. He goes, oh, is that Southern Baptist? And I'm thinking, we're in China. Like, and I went, well, yeah. And he goes, oh, yeah, y'all are the ones that don't like people that drink beer. One way you can know that you've been defined by your boundaries is when you have conversations like that, okay? And what I'm calling for here is a centered set body that understands, that, like everything starts, it's not that this stuff is unimportant, but if you miss this, you miss everything. You miss absolutely everything. And, and, and the word for that is tribalism. And we already got plenty of that, okay? About, about 10 years ago, I was still working for BCMD. I, was, I was, had the honor of running their evangelism department for several years, and we, we were convicted, our team was, that we weren't doing enough to reach people in the mid-Atlantic who followed other religions. It's a very religiously diverse area over there. And, and so we started interviewing potential missionaries that, that were formerly a part of some of those other religions who were who are now followers of Jesus. We're like, well, let's, let's see if we can find people who have the expertise, who also understand and share our faith, and maybe they can help our churches with how to interact with their coworkers, with how to build relationships. With What, what does it look like to actually share your faith in, in this context? And, and we interviewed uh, two people in, in, in particular that I remember. The first was a Messianic rabbi. He reads Hebrew better than I read English incredibly like super spooky smart he's an ethnic jew married to a german woman talk about unity in christ right huge passion for reaching his fellow jews i mean every time you spoke to him every time i listen to him i, I hear paul in, in romans 9 just all over again i have such great anguish in my soul there's nothing i wouldn't do to see them believe the second person we interviewed was an Iraqi-born former Muslim with a PhD in Islamic studies from the University of Cairo. Passionate about equipping churches to serve immigrants who come to our nation from Muslim-majority nations. We're like, we, we have two absolute all-stars. This is awesome. And then as we're talking about what this looks like, someone on our team reasonably and legitimately asked, are these two guys going to be able to get along with one another? Can they do that? Well, that's not an illegitimate. That wasn't an illegitimate question 10 years ago. And since October 7th, it's a really legitimate question now. And so we did some more intensive interviews with them both. And we asked them a lot of probing questions. What do you believe about the modern nation state of Israel? What do you believe about biblical prophecy? Dispensationalism versus covenantalism. They were on opposite sides of everything. And we're like, well, what do we do? What do we do? I mean, seriously, you just, if you want to have some fun, put these two guys in a room and just go geopolitics in the Middle East, discuss, get yourself a big old bag of popcorn because it's going to take a while. And you can have some fun. 
We hired them both. Why did we do that? Because the boundaries, though they were not unimportant, did not matter nearly so much as the center. We had two men unafraid to say to their respective tribal communities of origin, Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. And when you've got that, we were just crazy enough at that moment to believe that's enough. It's not that there's not stuff that needs to be worked through or that we don't talk about the boundary, but this is enough because that's what the church is at its heart. It's a group of diverse people centered on the person and the work and the mission of Jesus. Republican, Democrat, Mac, PC, Ford, Chevy, or Honda, Toyota. People with all these different backgrounds, different denominational backgrounds, and what makes us powerful is this common identity. We wear the identity of Jesus. Secondly, we move under the guidance of Jesus. Right on the heels of this powerful confession, we read the following in verse 17. Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, or Simon, son of Jonah. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Peter, I mean... I mean, if Peter had uttered that phrase, where I went to seminary, his professor would have given him an A. That that is the most lucid, articulate expression of high Christology that I have heard all semester. Jesus hears this confession and says, Simon, you are one blessed old boy because you're too stupid to have come up with that on your own. This has been revealed to you. This has been revealed. Flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you. This didn't come from your intellect. This this conviction is the result of divine revelation. And remember, this is coming at a pivotal point in the story. You read the rest of Matthew, there's some hard times coming. And you know what? I think that's going to be true for us as well. Oftentimes, we, we correctly predict a cultural moment in terms of, of its hardness, but we miss the details of, of how that hardness is going to come. But I, I think we, we really are living in times where cultural forces of every stripe are seeking to co-opt the message and the mission of God's church. I, I really believe that with all my heart. And, I, and, I, and admittedly, I just got back from Germany. I did a ton of study on the life of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and maybe, maybe I'm making too much of this. I don't think I am. I, I think the, many of the issues we face are many of the problems that, that he and the confessing church faced when there were all these cultural forces seeking to strip the church of its prophetic voice. And for us, that That threat is particularly acute. What the far left in this country has largely succeeded in already doing to most mainline theologically liberal churches, the far right is now in the process of seeking to do to evangelical churches. Presuming the right to tell us when to speak and when to be silent and where our emphases ought to be, it's happening everywhere, everywhere. And confessing and living for Jesus in a way that makes it clear to everybody around you that you ain't nobody's patsy, that's getting harder. Harder. And I think it's going to get even more difficult 
we need the same empowerment of God's Spirit that allowed us to believe in the first place to continue our path as a church. But here's the good news. If you're a follower of Jesus, you already have everything you need inside of you. You already have it. So we, we wear his identity together. We move under his guidance together. Watch what this produces. We work in his power together. Verse 18. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Man, there's some powerful stuff in here. But a couple things we need to look at to make sure we don't misunderstand. The first is the question of what is this rock he speaks of here? There's been a lot of disagreement, a lot of misunderstanding, a lot of even some false teaching. That, that's resulted from some well-meaning folks who just simply misunderstand what Jesus was trying to say. Uh, so for our Catholic friends, for example, this passage for them is the historical beginning point of the papacy. Peter becomes the first pope and all of that on the assumption that Jesus is building his church on the foundation of another man. Um, all kinds of presumption in that that are just frankly unproven. Uh, but before we jump too quickly on the Catholic tradition, we need to admit that, that those of us in the Protestant stream haven't handled this very well either. And I think mostly it's because our approach has been reactionary. I mean, that's what the Reformation was. It was a reaction. It, it was appropriate reaction. But, but when you start a movement with reaction, that's always the temptation. Is that 500 years later, you're still reacting. Okay. And what does that look like? You come to a text like this, and, and in the Protestant world, we go, well, well what, are the, what do the Catholics believe? Because we need to believe the other thing, right? Instead of actually looking at what this text says, when Jesus says rock, he actually is aiming his words at Peter. There's no way to, there's no way to deny that. You know, in the Protestant world, sometimes we try to take Peter out of this altogether which is kind of difficult given that he's the one being spoken to. But Jesus is not endowing Peter with some kind of inherent ex-cathedra power or authority to interpret, all right, it, is, it means, well, what does scripture mean? Well, it, from this point forward, it means whatever Peter says it means. Have y'all read the book of Acts? Peter had to get his hermeneutics straightened out several times. Read chapter 10 sometime this week. He gets it wrong. Right? So this is not inherent. I'm giving you all the authority. But what he is talking about is Peter's confession. Right? The apostolic foundation of the church, which Paul tells us in Ephesians 2, that the church is built on that foundation, but it is not the men themselves. All right? that, that should clear up some misunderstanding. It should also make you feel really good. It's not inherently in a man. I have absolutely no authority separated from the resurrected Christ. None. Because I got a reverend behind my name? Are you kidding me? What about these guys? Have you read their biographies? These guys are randos. The foundation, the foundation of the message they preached 
is rooted in their own confession of Jesus. So when Jesus says, upon this rock, I will build my church, this is the context. Who do other people say that I am? Well, some say that you're Elijah or one of the prophets, and some say this and some say, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus' response is, that's what I'll build my church on. Everywhere a man or woman of God says that and believes it and puts it into action, there will be a church. And then here comes the promise. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now let's look at this word hell for a minute. Because there are times in scripture when this word for hell refers to a place that's reserved for the devil and his angels and for those who die in their sins outside of Christ. And here at Covenant, we believe in such a place. We believe that it exists. But that's not what this word is referring to here. The word is Hades, and in its context here, it just simply means the, the realm of the dead. And it's at this point that I'll remind you and take you back to the, the setting. Remember where they are when they're having this conversation. Caesarea Philippi. Formerly Panaeus, pagan area filled with pagan people and pagan practices. The first century equivalent of the Vegas Strip after 8 p.m. filled with greed, immorality, pagan worship. That's where Jesus took them. By the way, just so that I'm clear, Jesus did not take them there so they could play slots. <laughs> Jesus did not take them there so they could find a girl. Okay? Just want to make that clear. Why did he take them there? So that when he speaks about the realm of the dead, they'd be sitting in it. They are in the realm of the dead. And now we start to see the whole reason why Jesus brought them there. When he says the gates will not prevail, he's like, look, take a look around. Look at all this around. Does it feel dark right now? Anybody else out there? From time to time, even on your good days, man, it feels kind of dark right now. world feels kind of dark. Look at it. Sit in it. When you faithfully live and proclaim my name, this darkness that you're sitting in the middle of cannot prevail over that. It can't do it. And that's the, one of the mistakes we've made is we, we tend to view church in a, in a defensive posture, sort of a circle the wagons, let's, as long as we have the freedom to do so in our society, and I thank God for religious freedom, I, I'm just not really fond of the way we've used it sometimes. Create our own cultures, our own camps, our own music, our own everything else, and then, not, which is not, none of that's wrong until you decide I'm going to stay trapped inside all of this. And you end up in a bubble that isolates you from the very hell we are intended to invade. This is a picture of hell on defense. Gates is not an offensive weapon. The gates of hell will not prevail. That's not an offense. That's a defensive weapon. Gates are meant to keep people out. I've, I've never, unless it was a WWE match, I don't think I've ever seen anybody use a gate as an offensive weapon. I've never read an article in the paper where somebody got murdered, attacked with a deadly gate. I, I don't see it. It's, it's a defensive posture. And, and the church is to be on offense here. 
And Jesus says, we've been given the authority to do this. Verse 20, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Keys are a metaphor for authority. The binding and loosing imagery is the church carrying the authority of Jesus on the earth to the extent that we are faithful to his identity and message. And, and if you were here for several weeks ago, you know I'm not talking about violence, certainly. I'm not talking about being adversarial toward people that Jesus died to save. I'm not talking about culture warring. I'm talking about being ambassadors, simply representing your king. Jesus will take care of all that other stuff. Represent the truth of your king. That, that's what we're called to do together. How does that look in 2024? I want that to be some discussions that we have together in our small groups and as we get into the One Another series starting in January. And, and so, but for right now, here's what I want you to do. As you leave today, I want you to drive home with a different set of eyes. I want you to see the brokenness that exists and, and don't ignore it this time. I, I, listen, I completely get that sometimes you're like, okay, I gotta check out. I need a moment uh, where I'm not surrounded by bad news. I mean, but today, unless there's something traumatic that's happened in your life or you feel like you just can't emotionally handle it, I, I, I want you to open your eyes from this place to wherever you live. Multiple counties and three different states represented in front of me this morning. And I want you to see the brokenness and I want you to do what Jesus invited his disciples to do. I want you to sit in it for a little bit, even as you drive. And, and I also know, with the number of people in this room, for some of you, you don't have to look any further than your own home. I get that. There, there's kids driving you nuts. There's dysfunction at various levels. Or, or maybe it's your job or whatever it might be. But I, I just want you to watch it. I, I, want you to, I want you to scroll your phone with a different set of eyes. I want you to remember in the middle of that who you are. And I want you to remember who we are. People called by the very name of Jesus. People who, when we accurately live and proclaim him, are promised. None of that holds you back. None of that keeps you from who God wants you to be. How, how many churches in the West, even, even the evangelical ones, truly exist in our culture like the ones that Jesus describes here? They haven't been compromised by a lack, lack of gospel clarity. They... They haven't been compromised by political or cultural capitulation. They haven't lost their prophetic witness. They haven't been weakened by conjured up substitutes for the Holy Spirit. Genuine disciples that hear and obey and serve part of the world that God has placed them in with a focus on his kingdom. Called together into this community and equipped to be sent out. Jesus promises us that. Let's be that kind of church. Let's be that kind of church. Will you bow your heads with me? And as we prepare to pray together, I, I just want to ask a couple questions. The first one is just simply this. Do you believe? You look at these words in front of you, and, and maybe you're the kind of individual you were raised in the church, you wouldn't dare say anything differently, but in your heart of hearts, you really wonder, is this true? Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Do you believe that? Would you like to believe it? Here's the second question. What is your Hades? Where's your realm of the dead? Where are the pockets of darkness 
in your life. Maybe you're even surrounded by some of it right now. My, my prayer, my hope today is that the Jesus who came to us on that first Christmas and brought light into darkness is going to offer you that same light right here and right now. The same light for ourselves, for our families, for our neighbors, for our friends. And as we approach the new year, let me just encourage you to commit yourself to him. Father in heaven, I ask you to move through your Holy Spirit among our people. If there are those that don't know you, bring them to faith in you. Father, would you, would you just be with us? May your spirit just be palpable in these coming moments as we consider how we're going to respond to your word. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hi, everybody. Pastor Joel here, and I am so glad you stopped by. I pray this podcast helps you in your walk with God. And if you're listening with questions about faith of any sort, God is not afraid of those questions, and neither are we. Join us any Sunday morning at 9 o'clock or 11 o'clock in the morning. If you're new to our area and looking for a church home, I hope we'll see you soon and have the opportunity to welcome you properly and personally through our doors. And if you live in the tri-state area, but you're already a part of one of the other phenomenal church families here, I pray this podcast has been a great addition to the primary teaching you already received from your local pastor and that you've been better equipped to serve your own church family. So let's all go make Jesus famous this week. Share his love every chance you get until we meet again. And God bless you.